Is there anybody in your life that you would die for? Is there anybody in your life that you would die for? We pose that question. I think a lot of us think, oh, yeah, you know, brother, sister, parents, children, perhaps a significant other, uh, a friend, various other family members. Uh, a, a cautionary tale before you start making promises to people that you would indeed die for them. When I was um, in, in college and, and um, Stacy, my wife, when we were dating, we were trying to figure out ways that we could spend more time together because, you know, struggle is real at Sterling College. There's visitation hours and, and, and to find opportunities, you know, to, to spend time with people of the opposite gender can be a challenge sometimes. And so the weather got nice and we decided, well, maybe it'd be a good idea if we started exercising together. And, you know, I showed a great deal of sacrifice and, and committed to engaging in an activity that I absolutely hate which is, is running. I cannot stand running. Uh, I don't enjoy it. It gives me a little bit of like PTSD because I'm more of like a long shorts, even uh, like goalie, three-quarter length pants kind of guy. And, um, you know, running, my, my wardrobe isn't necessarily outfitted for that. I'm not a short shorts kind of guy. Uh, it takes me back to when I was a freshman in high school and we got these hand-me-down uniforms for the freshman team for basketball that we like had to roll up the edges of our boxer shorts to keep them underneath our basketball shorts. They were so short. It was a rough time in life. And I don't like to, to go back there and remember that. And so I try to go out of my way not to run. But this um, woman whose affection that I was trying to win wanted to run. And I was like, all right, now we can, we can go ahead and run. And it started off really, really poorly. Um, at that time in my life, I was a lot of things that I'm not now. Specifically, I was not um, old or out of shape. And so uh, that combined with the fact that my, my body being kind of lanky um, was was, was uh, um, in, in the perfect form to be able to run fast. What I was not in the perfect form to do or wise enough to do at the time was to know how to effectively motivate someone whose affection I was trying to woo. And so as I was running fast and trying to motivate this young lady, she was getting frustrated with me because I was not motivating her in a very uplifting way. So already there's some tension brewing and, and we're really, God's teaching me a lot about, you know, how do you communicate with someone that you love? And as we're running through Sterling, Kansas, um, uh, we're, we're in our own thoughts now because we've reached a, a diplomatic stalemate and we're running past this house and from around the corner of this house, um, uh, two dogs come sprinting and barking at us. And I like in that moment got scared and I let out this kind of Homer Simpson-esque scream and um, when push came to shove, I kind of lost my mind, and I accidentally uh, shoved my wife in between me <laughs> and the dogs. Now, fortunately, she did not get eaten that day because there was a fence, and the dogs like slammed in the fence, and, and they kept barking um, and, and threatening us. Uh, but she did, not, she did not die. She did, however, uh, get some understandably hurt feelings that day. Because, you know, she wanted me with my heart and with my words and with my life uh, to be singing th this love song to her about sacrifice. And in that particular moment, you know, I was a little more of a, of a meatloaf fan. I was like, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. So you got to be careful. You got to be careful if you're going to tell somebody that, that, that I, would, I, would, I would die for you. I would do anything for you. Paul makes that statement to his fellow Jews in Romans chapter 9. 
And, and unlike me at times in my life, you know, I, th- I think Paul actually meant it. I think with his whole heart, when he tells his brothers and sisters that, that, that I would die for you or the way that he um, puts it in, in Romans 9, depending on how your translation is there at the beginning, that, that I myself would be separated from, from, from Christ for you, I believe that he means that. You know, Paul is, is an interesting fellow who comes along at an interesting time in history because here he is, and he is a, a Jew amongst Jews. He is from the tribe of Benjamin. He is highly educated. He is a leader. And then he gets converted to Christianity. He becomes a Christ follower, but when he does that, he does not deny his Judaism. He does not turn away from that. In fact, he becomes this, this, this embracer of all people while still acknowledging his history. And it's very important to him, even as he preaches this expansive gospel that includes the Gentiles, the, the non-Jews, he's still trying to, to speak this message of reconciliation. He's still trying to speak this prophetic message to his Jewish brothers and sisters to say, hey, even as the, 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 the plates of spirituality are kind of like uh, shifting, and they're shifting in a big way, and they're causing us to rethink some things, specifically about who this Jesus person is and, and was and, and how the Spirit of God is working amongst us, know that I still value my history. And I still value who we are as Jewish people. It's within that context that that Paul is speaking to his Jewish brothers and sisters in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. He is saying to his Jewish brothers and sisters, I love you guys so much. I love you guys so much, and I want what's best for you. In fact, I want what's best for you so much that that, that I wouldn't deny Christ, but that I would volunteer myself to be separated eternally from Jesus if if it meant that, that I could kind of stand in your place. And that you could do what you were supposed to do and that you could be bonded to Christ forever. If you could be in the presence of Jesus forever. And and he says this to them because he has some very hard words for the people that he loves. Some incredibly difficult words to speak to them. And and over the course of this chapter, Paul is wrestling with three questions with his Jewish brothers and sisters. And the first question that he's wrestling with and presenting to, to them is this question of, did God break his covenant with us? As, as we're here and as we're talking about what it means for, for Gentiles to, to, to be part of the family of God, does that mean we're not special anymore? Does that mean that, that God's not using us anymore? Does that mean that, that, that this estate that we've had, as God said, you are going to be my called people, has that been, been wiped out anymore? 
And in fact, Paul explicitly says, and alludes to some other things in these first few verses, that in no way does it mean that, that the patriarchs still matter, that our history still matters, that our scriptures, those things still matter. We're not pushing them aside. We're not denying them. We're not throwing them out. He's not asking them to to no longer be ethnically or culturally Jewish, but what he is calling them to do, what he is calling them to do is to stop being complacent, to stop being complacent. And his answer to this question, has God gone back on his covenantal promises or has the word of God, has the promise of God failed? His answer to that question is this. But it's not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. And not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated." And as Paul goes through that family tree, that that genealogy at the beginning of the history of the Jewish people, the point that he's trying to make there is, look, the promises that God has given to us are not due solely to our heredity. They are not due solely to our family tree. Because even when we look at the offspring of Abraham, there are some that the promise was extended to, that the promise was was worked through. And there are others that that the promise did not necessarily extend to, at least not in, in its fullest sense. And so even amongst the offspring of Abraham and the offspring of, of, of Jacob, there were some lines of the family that, that God said, I'm going to work specifically through you. From the place where we stand in history, we can look back, hindsight 2020, and see that, that yes, it was through this specific line, the specific lineage that Jesus would be born. And so Paul here is saying it's not just enough for us to to, to rest in the fact that we are Jewish. In fact, we have become complacent. And what we've stopped doing is, is we have stopped remembering the grace of God. Because here's this God who throughout history has had this plan. And and, and some people have had a key role, a starring role in that plan. And that doesn't necessarily mean that that God has, has forgotten or forsaken everybody else. But God had purposes and God's purposes would not be thwarted. And for we as, a, as an ethnic people and as a cultural people, the way that we were called to worship and the laws that we were called to live by, the way that God told us to, to, to set up our society, those things were supposed to bring glory to the name of God. And they ushered in 
the most powerful prophet in history, Jesus Christ. They ushered in the Son of God. They ushered in the King. They ushered in the Lamb who was going to be slaughtered. And we get to be a part of that. That's our heritage. We lay claim to that. But as we lay claim to that, and as we say, yes, this is a part of of who we are, we can't take it for granted. And we can't say that nothing else matters except for my heredity or my ethnicity. Because as God ushers in this thing gracefully, as God's, of God's own volition, there's also this response of faith that has to happen. This response of faith that has to happen. And we see that with Abraham, and we see that with Jacob, and we see that throughout the Old Testament of the prophets calling the people of God to live the calling that God has for their lives. And so as Paul talks to his brothers and sisters, his message to them is this, that no, the word of God has not failed. The promises of God have not failed. They were as good as the day that they were made. In fact, they have been reinforced and they've been reaffirmed. But at the same time, we have to stop being a complacent people. We have to stop sitting back and saying, no, 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 we're good because we're Jewish. We got this thing covered. And then there's not really anything else that we have to do to have this intimate relationship with God. But we have to be willing to step out and have that faith to allow the, the spirit of God that he talks about there to flow through us. That we can continue to be vessels of grace and mercy now to all of the people of the world. So we look at this now in our context And what does that call us to be? Because we are not, for the most part, a context that has a lot of Jewish heritage in it. I would say that for us as as Westerners, and, and for us, a lot of us who have spent at least some time in church, For those of us who now are spending quite a bit of time at at a Christian college, I think it's probably important for us at the beginning of a semester for for us to be called out of complacency, for us to to, to not be slowed or for us to not be dulled, but for us to be thankful for the measures of grace that God has given us, for us to to, to be thankful for the opportunities that God has, has given us to be a part of this narrative that God has set forth, to, to, to stand before God and, and say, yes, God, you know what? It is a big deal that you have created me, that you have called me by name, that, that you want me to bring glory to your kingdom, that you want me to be salt, that you want me to be a world changer, that you want me to be light in a dark place. And I'm not just going to, to, to sit back and, and relax. I'm not going to yawn and stretch, but I'm going to be motivated and I'm going to be excited and I'm going to be pushed forward knowing that you have a plan for me and that this plan is not something that has just started this semester or, or with my life, but it is tied back to the things that you have been trying to communicate to humanity throughout history. I'm going to be thankful today for the grace by which you have reached out to me and called me and tried to grab a hold of my life. I think that's the first call for us today is a call out of complacency. But I think there is another call then as well. And I think that there is a call to passionately speak truth to our brothers and sisters. 
to those people around us, to those people who are, we are related to by blood, to those people who are our family, to those people that, that God has, has created systems around us, be they on our team or, or, or our classmates or even a tight group of friends, perhaps the people on our floor, the people that we live with, the people that we are our roommates with. I think that, that just as Paul here is, is so very passionate about the well-being of those around him, so God wants us to be passionate evangelists. That we will not be, be content to watch those around us be led astray. That, that, that we will not be content to, to look at our own situation and say, well, you know what? Like, God's got a hold of my life and, and I'm good to go now. Good luck, everybody else. You go and try to get yours. No, I, I think that God wants us to be prayerful for the people around us. I think that God wants us to be brave enough to, to, to find ways to speak truth into their lives. I think that God wants us to be as passionate about our own well-being as, as he wants us to be uh, about the, those things that will bring wholeness and peace and completeness into other people's lives. And we know from reading through Scripture and from reading through Romans that, that Jesus is the only thing that can truly do that. That what God wants for our lives is for our lives to be a testimony and maybe our lives won't be perfection. That's okay. None of them are. But they should at least be a journey, a journey where we're learning more about who God is, where it's a journey where we're looking back and remembering the history of the things that God has done. It's a journey where hopefully at each stage of our life, we're learning more about the God who created us and taking steps of faith to be obedient to that God. Can we be pulled as we start this journey together this semester out of a place of, of complacency, out of a place of, of feeling nonchalant about the grace that God has given us and the opportunity that stands before us to deepen our faith? And can we be passionate, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of the gospel at large, for the sake of our community, the people around us, our family members, our loved ones, even as Jesus would say, our enemies and the world at large that we could fulfill the will of God. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you are a God of life. And we pray, God, that in our very deepest places today, in our hearts, in our souls, in our minds, enliven us. Start a flicker, start, start a flame, start a process that will happen where we can look inside ourselves and really be evaluating the things that you want us to hear and to be and to do. Help us to be a people who are examining our own lives, who are being grateful for the things that you have blessed us with and who are embracing the calls that you have put on our lives. And help us, God, to, to be bright, shining witnesses to everything that you have done and everything that you have said. Help us to go on this journey together, God. Certainly, our individual faith journey is linked arm in arm together, but, but also as a community. And help us as a community to better reflect in the way that we talk with each other and the way that we engage the world that is outside this thing that you have called us to be, which is the church. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you today, God, to start out our semester in your word. And we dedicate the next 15 weeks to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great day.